Hey guys, Sunny D here. Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. On this episode, you're going to hear a live recording from Storytime. We're doing a brand study, and the brand that we're focusing on right now is the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company. It's been around over a hundred years. Um, definitely a lot of awesome insights on this episode, and some pretty kind of crazy parallels to the situation we're finding ourselves in right now in 2020 and things that they went through in their history. So hopefully you guys are ready. Going to have a lot of awesome takeaways. I'm excited to share this with you. Let's get into it. The Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. We're reading from the book, The New Gold Standard by Joseph Michelli. Enjoy. Here we go. Here we go. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? It's 9 a.m., you know what that means. That means it is time, it is time, it is time. It is time for some story time. Good morning, good morning, how you guys doing? However you're tuning in, if you're tuning in on the gram, the gram. If you're tuning in on Facebook page one, Facebook page two, Twitter, the podcast, wherever you guys are tuning in from, good morning, good morning. You know what time it is. It's 9 a.m. It's time for story time. I come in, I'm coming, I've been coming to you guys every morning, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. doing story time where we're studying different businesses, studying different brands, reading from some of my favorite brands. Uh, books on my favorite brands. This is going to be episode, we're rolling into episode number 27. So that means 27 mornings we've all sat together and had a little story time. So hopefully if you've been here for 27 episodes, if you've been coming here every single morning, Monday through Friday, hopefully that you've got a lot of uh, takeaways, you've learned a couple of things, at least one thing, two things, maybe three things. So the first like 25 episodes, I was reading to you from my books and I re- went through chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. Um, your first year in the beauty industry, how to not just survive but thrive in the business of beauty. And then I went through your first year in salon ownership, sharing with you things that I've learned over the last 10 going on 11 years as a business owner. And now we're starting to do some brand studies. So we're looking into uh, different brands that I've admired, different brands that I've learned a ton from over the years. And I picked out some doozies. I got, we've got the Ritz Carlton, we've got McDonald's, we've got Ikea, we've got Apple, we've got Walmart, we've got Starbucks, we've got Coca-Cola. So some of the most iconic and recognized brands and I picked those brands out because of their longevity, because of their their track record, because of the rich history, and really because all of the amazing things that I've learned reading the books and studying those companies. You know, I mean, some of these companies been around for a century, a hundred years. So you think uh, the coronavirus, what we're experiencing right now, you think this is something new for them. So they've been through viruses, they've been through market crashes, they've been through, I mean, some of them, you're talking a hundred years, 1929, the, the, 
stock market crash. So they've been through that. <clears throat> so you think they're flinching at the uh, at what we're going through right now? Probably not. And so as we're doing this brand study and we're starting to go through some of these companies, hopefully you're gonna hear and learn some of the best practices from these companies, um, some of the ways that they think about things, some of the ways that they've been able to innovate, um, some of the ways um, that they've been able to pivot when markets have changed, when environments have changed. And that's exactly what's going on right now. We've got a big change in the environment. We got a big, um, we got a big change in, and um, the economy, we got a big change in the way that we work. You know, everybody's having to learn how to work differently now. Everybody's having to learn how to work, you know, from a distance now. So especially my businesses, you know, we've been closed. We're still closed. We've been closed since March 16th, 17th, our last day. So just about two months, we're gonna be opening back up next week. And as we get out there, we're gonna be going into this new environment. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it, you know. I mean, there's some people are a little bit shook and afraid and not knowing. I mean, and that's all natural, you know. You should be a little nervous. You should be a little hesitant. You should be, you know, a little afraid. Whatever you want to call it, that's all natural. But when you go back out there, you're going to be entering the Corona economy. And I've been talking a lot about this over the last 26, 27 episodes. You're going to be entering this Corona economy where things are going to be different. You know, everyone's talking about, oh, we're getting we're the new normal. It's not even it's not even the new normal. It's just going to be what our normal is. You can call it, you know, post-Corona normal. You can call it um, just the new world. It's the new economy. You know, and I've been you know studying over the past eight almost eight weeks, being uh, quarantined, being at home. You know, really only going out for essential um, if you need to, right? That's been kind of the mandate. And I've been really trying to stick to that, you know, not taking any unnecessary chances, not taking any unnecessary uh, risk and going out if you absolutely need to or have to. That's been kind of the deal. So in and around that i've been watching and learning and studying all these different companies and i've been trying to bring you know what i've been learning to you guys on story time so hopefully you're getting some value out of it um hopefully you're getting um you're getting some takeaways and this brand study i think is a lot of fun because a lot of these books i've already read these books multiple times but going back through them you know again it's uh, it's you know, it's going to be an eye opener because I'm going through them and I'm kind of looking at the chapter we're going to be focusing on and you know, getting reminded of some of the things um, that I learned from that chapter and uh, from that book and from that company. And I'm interested to see uh, what kind of moves these companies make. I mean, especially when you're talking about these some of these iconic brands that've been around forever. The one we're studying right now, the Ritz Carlton. I mean, this is an industry, the hotel, um, the service industry, you know, I'm in the service industry as a hairdresser, I'm in the service industry, so I know that it's one of the hardest hit industries out there. I know that it's one of the industries that, you know, a lot of people are wondering, like, what is the recovery going to be like? Is this industry going to be able to um, take the blow? You know, and we found out as, as hairdressers, 
you know, we found out that uh, we were considered non-essential pretty quick. You know, all of our guests think we're essential, right? They want their hair colored. They don't want to see the gray. Um, they want their hair cut. They want to keep their fades tight. Um, but we found out that, you know, in the eyes of the, uh, the beholders in the government, we were non-essential. So we were put on the sidelines. And so being on the sidelines for the past eight weeks, I know we've had to learn and get crafty and get, you know, super creative. And because, you know, and I told my team this right away, like in the beginning, I was like, do not think like the government is going to bail us out or the government is going to save our company. We're going to have to do everything that we can to uh, stay in contact with our guests, try to keep providing value to our guests um, to create some kind of and generate some kind of revenue to have a flow. Um, but it's really kind of opened my eyes to look at my company, look at my business, look at my career, look at all of these things differently, you know, through this new kind of Corona lens, the Corona economy, it, uh, it takes no prisoners, right? It, it's wiping businesses out and, and some businesses are going to come out of this stronger. Some businesses are going to come out of this um, leaner. Some businesses are going to come out of this meaner. Uh, some businesses are not going to come out of this. You've already seen if you're, you know, if you have either even one eye open, you've already seen you know, there's been lots of companies that already are like, you know what, let's throw in the towel. Now, if there were companies that had, they had some situations already going on, maybe they were already struggling a little bit going um, into the coronavirus and coming into the corona economy, and it didn't take much. It's kind of like, you know, you're you're in a boxing match and you're you're already beat. You got beat up the night before. It's not going to take much now when you're when the bell rings for that person just to expose those weaknesses and lay it on you. And I've got companies all over the spectrum. I've got companies that are were performing um, really well. You know, great cash flow, positive, you know, positive margins and everything. And then I have companies that are kind of borderline, and I have companies that are under the line. And I've got companies at different levels in their life. I've got brand new, um, just getting started, one to two years, you know, three to six years, and then six years plus. So I've got different businesses and different, you know, you know, lease arrangements. So a lot of different things to factor in. You know, having that good thing because if you have, you know, one business and you have to close, um, then you're shit out of luck. But if you have multiple businesses and you have to kind of cut bait, um, you still may be able to be able to do that. You know, like some of these companies are out there and they're like shedding people, they're closing locations, they're downsizing. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of that stuff going on. So just understand like now is the time where, you know, these things when they happen, uh, a lot of things are going to get exposed. How strong was the business? What kind of position was the business in? Is the business viable? Is it not? So we're going to find out all that. And just because businesses are opening up, that's really just the beginning of the Corona economy. You know, I've been talking about the Corona economy. Now we're seeing how everybody's performing lockdown. We're seeing how everybody's performing uh, pre, you know, opening up. We're seeing how everybody's cash flows, innovations people creating brand new companies. And there's always gonna be companies that shouldn't have existed before that are just gonna shudder and be gone. But there's also gonna be new companies created during the coronavirus pandemic, during this corona economy that don't need to exist either, right? 
there are going to be fly-by-night operations. People are going to seize on the moment. People are going to try to capitalize on the situation. Those businesses will go away just as quick. Um, so as I'm watching the environment and you know, kind of getting prepared as our businesses get ready to open, that's the beginning of the corona economy because that's when we really start to get this. You know, we, we get a, a, a view of uh, what's going to happen next. And I was talking to a guy yesterday. I was like, "Yeah, it's going to take at least three to six months to even really know what we're dealing with post, you know, lockdown. It's not going to be like, oh, everything's open now." we're back to normal or we're in the new normal or whatever the whatever they want to call it branded as whatever uh, it's going to still take another three to six months to really kind of find out what the hell is going on like it's not just going to be uh, next week I won't have anything to report you know next week's going to be our first week open the week after that not really much to report it's going to be at least three to six months before we even know what the corona economy looks like because some of the damage will, you know, be recoverable, but some of the damage also will be permanent damage, you know, and, and we'll have to understand like that's the way it goes now. And that's just, I mean, my thoughts, you know, what do I know? But those are some of the things that you have to consider as we start to get ready and businesses are open and companies are opening. So the service industry, which we're studying right now <clears throat> is one to keep an eye on especially when it deals with hotels because you're talking about travel. Um, you're talking about people wanting to travel, not wanting to travel. I talked about my new airline, my hypothetical airline I created over the weekend because I had like a day off or whatever you want to call it, had some downtime. So what did I do? I created an airline because it's probably one of the biggest hit and on edge and ready to fold businesses out there. There's a ton of airlines that have already folded. There's ton of air, there's airlines that were getting ready to start. Like 2020 was like we're we're jumping off. This is the beginning, and now it's like oops, it's over. Those those places are already done. Um, and then there's airlines that were on you know on the edge that this just kind of knocks them over and they they can't recover. Um, you know there's going to be a few left. I don't think airlines are going to go away, but there's also an opportunity. So I created an airline over the weekend. It's called. Sanitaire Lines, Sanitaire Lines. You want to check it out? You can go to sanitairelines.com and check out my new airline. We're taking flight 2021. Who wants to start an airline business? Nobody. Um, so I wrote a I wrote an article about it, created it, got a website, um, did that over. You know, I had a few hours on on uh, Sunday, and that's what I was doing. Just kind of toying with the idea but really thinking like how would I do it because I have no clue and sometimes it's going to take that it's going to take a fresh set of eyes coming into an industry that has no clue to really see the gap or see the opportunity that exists so sanitaire lines it's kind of like how you spell sanitation it's s-a-n-i sanitaire t-a-i-r like air lines l-i-n-e-s dot Com. Check out sanitairelines.com. Tell me what you think. If you want to start an airline with me, let's partner up and let's do it. Yeah, definitely one of the hardest hit industries. So as we're studying, you know, right now we're going into um, this book that I'm reading from and that the company that we're studying is the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. The book is The New Gold Standard and the book was written by Joseph A. Michelli amazing author, uh, really kind of a, um, 
a leadership and an experience expert, writes a lot about that from Zappos uh, to Starbucks, to Ritz-Carlton, a lot of big brands. Um, that's kind of been his focus and his body of work. Check him out on Instagram. He's at Joseph Michelli. On Twitter, he's at Joseph Michelli. Joseph, if you're ever watching or listening to this, um, I really appreciate your work and have learned a ton. Um, just amazing stuff, amazing stuff. And so we're reading from this book, The New Gold Standard, and it's going to be going through this amazing hotel company called the Ritz-Carlton. And so yesterday I, I shared the foreword, uh, which was from the, at the time this was written, was the president of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And today we're going to be going over the, the uh, Ritz-Carlton experience. So if you're in the service industry or thinking about getting in the service industry, um, really, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care what industry you're in, you better be given good service, right? And so this company has been, I mean, is renowned for just an amazing experience, amazing service. Uh, people from all over the world that stay at their hotels, uh, that's been the general report. So we're gonna get into the Ritz-Carlton experience and we're gonna, it's gonna go over uh, some of those highlights. And you'll hopefully be like thinking as soon as you can, whenever it's possible again, to get out there and book something, maybe you'll give them a thought. And I am, uh, just quick disclaimer, not getting paid for endorsing books, endorsing hotels, endorsing any of these companies. I'm no way affiliated with any of these authors or companies. Um, maybe I follow them on social media, that's it. Um, these thoughts, these are just kind of thoughts that I've had. I've read all these books multiple times. I admire the companies and the authors and that's why I'm wanting to share this just to do a little brand study, case study. Uh, I don't know if I need to say that, but I'm saying it because next thing I know, I got people like, you know, saying something. I don't know. You know how people are. So um, this is the Ritz-Carlton experience. So this is going to be uh, coming from the new gold standard, the first the beginning, I guess we could say chapter one. There's five principles that the book covers and this is kind of pre-principle one. Um, so the Ritz-Carlton experience. And it starts at the very top there with a little uh, quote by Cesar Ritz. The customer is never wrong, exclamation point. So over a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, a herdsman's son from a family of 13 began working in the hotel industry. While learning his craft, he was fired from various jobs, sounds like me, um, and was even told by one employer that in the hotel business, you need an aptitude, a flair. You haven't a trace of it. Damn, is that, that's not enough to fire you up? Like if somebody tells you like you suck, uh, you're gonna, you don't have a chance at this, right? First haircut you did, if you're in my industry, you cut a hair. And they're like, that's the worst thing ever. I told myself that because my first haircut was, uh, it was a nightmare. Um, so you cut the hair and they say, you know what? Just give it up. Throw your scissors in the trash, put your comb down and get the hell out of here. Is it, if that's not enough, if that either it's going to do one or two things. It's going to have you do that or it's going to get you fired up. And I'm, uh, by the looks of it, you know, considering the company's been around for like over a hundred years, it got him fired up. So that's what they told him. In the hotel business, you need an aptitude, a flair, you haven't a trace of it. From those humble beginnings, the hotelier of kings and king of hoteliers, Cesar Ritz, completely revolutionized the luxury hotel industry. 
starting with the Ritz-Paris and the Carlton in London, Cesar Ritz emphasized the guest experience, created opulent physical environments, innovated hotel design, produced settings of uncompromising quality, and established what have become the gold standard for luxury and the epitome of service excellence. His marks of distinction have found their way into our lexicon with descriptors like Ritzy and Putting on the Ritz. And you've heard that song, Putting on the Ritz. So that's where it comes from. I didn't really, I don't remember that. Putting on the Ritz. All right, that's cool. There you go. I already learned something again. So yet against this backdrop, and with significant attention from the Harvard Business Review, Business Week, the Wall Street Journal, and other business periodicals, there has never been a book written about the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Wow. When I approached its current leadership about providing business readers with behind-the-scenes look, with a behind-the-scenes look into the company inspired by Cesar Ritz, I was met with the welcoming spirit that has made Ritz-Carlton an icon. I have spent the better part of a year examining the greatness and occasional missteps of the leadership of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. I've met with employees who they call the ladies and gentlemen of the Ritz-Carlton at all levels of the company, and I have traveled to their U.S. properties as well as to dynamic international locations such as Singapore and Dubai. The new gold standard reveals the specific leadership behaviors that produce Ritz-Carlton's exemplary corporate culture, exceptional staff empowerment, and extraordinary commitment to its customers. But before we dive into the leadership mechanics of Ritz-Carlton and what you can learn from its unwavering commitment to excellence, let's look at some of the company's prominent achievements. Cool. So we're going to get into a little bit of the history. So every legend starts with a great story. While the Ritz-Carlton has roots in European aristocracy, oh, see the sidebar of the life of Caesar Ritz for detailed information on the background of the company, which we'll get to in a second. Much of the story begins with Caesar Ritz's death in 1918, when his wife Marie permitted use of the Ritz name on acceptable properties in Europe and the United States. Developer Albert Keller later created the Ritz-Carlton Investing Company and franchised the Ritz-Carlton name for hotels he constructed in the United States. In 1927, Keller opened the Ritz-Carlton Boston and he later built hotels in New York City, Atlantic City, Boca Raton, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. In many ways, the Ritz-Carlton Boston represented the best of the Ritz-Carlton brand in the United States through its attention to detail, practical innovation, and creation of an unrivaled customer experience built in response to the mayor of Boston's call for a world-class hotel. The Ritz-Carlton Boston leveraged the reputation of the Ritz properties in Europe and delivered a regal hotel to an emerging high society in Boston, opening with a room rate of $15. Damn, $15. Think about that. But that's in, what was that, 1927? Now, you know, I talk about this a lot, especially when I'm speaking to, you know, groups of artists. When do most artists get paid? And I'm going to say Cesar Ritz is an artist. 
because he designed this experience, right? He designed this just like you would design a shirt, a hat, a haircut, a paint a picture. He painted this picture of this luxury experience. <clears throat> so I'm gonna say he's an artist and when do most artists get paid? Unfortunately, it's after they die, right? So he dies, 1918, and along comes a developer, Albert Keller, and he creates the Ritz-Carlton Investing Company and franchises the Ritz-Carlton name for hotels that he constructed in the United States. So that happens all the time, right? And so learning about it, you know, learning like if that's going to be the case, right? Building and, and getting the savvy, like why didn't Cesar Ritz do it, right? Why didn't he do it? I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about that, but just something to think about because most artists really, you know, they get they get paid after they die. I even think about like Paul Mitchell, like Paul Mitchell, you know, he passed away in 1989, tragically, suddenly from pancreatic cancer. And then, you know, 30, the company was only nine years old, essentially. And then now, you know, 31 years later, here we are, it's mega successful and it's gotten huge. It's spans the globe it's got there's schools there's products there's training and edu i mean there's so many things going on that he never saw that happened after he passed away um so that's a big thing that you know a lot of times when artists pass away i mean you think michael jackson you think prince you think biggie you think tupac i mean they became even bigger after they died than i mean arguably than when they were alive you know and that happens to artists all the time um, so just something to keep in mind. How could you become bigger while you're alive? Uh, maybe then you can, in, you know, make the impact, the impact that you want to make and uh, the mark that you want to make before you pass away, right? Um, so they started with this opening room rate of $15. So Boston's where they're at. So through the years, the Ritz-Carlton Boston defined the American luxury hotel experience by providing uniformly clad wait staff private baths in all guest rooms, and small lobbies for a personal guest greeting place. Ritz Carlton sales revenues have tripled in the past several years from $1.2 billion in 1998 to nearly $3 billion in 2007. Additionally, the company continues to accelerate its global growth plan and focuses on a strategy that includes the reinvestment of more than $1 billion in upgrades and renovations. Despite these financial accomplishments, the Ritz-Carlton brand has not always maintained a steady level of fiscal success. Following the New York stock market crash in 1929, American and European hotels carrying the Ritz-Carlton named name faced financial collapse and closure. So here we are, right? We're in 1929, financial collapse. Sound familiar? Um, here we are, it's 2020. And we're going through financial hard times again. There's potential financial collapse in some industries. So this pandemic has kind of recreated this. So they went through this already. You think about how many times they went through it because of the size of the company, the, the length of the company. The, I mean, so this is nothing new for them, right? So this happens in 1929. The stock you know, market crashes. And they're on the you know, verge of financial collapse and closure. In fact, with the exception of the Ritz-Carlton Boston, all Ritz-Carlton hotels in the United States were closed. 
the market's difficulties derailed the well-crafted strategy that had brought Ritz-Carlton the loyalty of the world's wealthiest and most influential clientele. As the company's traditional customer base experienced a great loss of wealth, the leadership at the hotels had difficulty filling the sumptuous dining halls and elegantly appointed suites. Even hotels that survived through much of the crisis were facing challenges to operate, much less maintain the standards of luxury that guests had come to expect from Ritz-Carlton. During these difficult times, Keller went to great lengths to keep the Boston Hotel open. In one instance, he tried to mask the low occupancy at his hotel by turning on lights in unoccupied rooms prior to a visit from his wealthy father. Keller hoped that the deception would enable him to convince his father to loan him the money he needed to keep the hotel operational. The economic challenges of the Ritz-Carlton brand and other hotels in the luxury category continued throughout World War II as occupancy rates remained low in the face of global uncertainty. Sound familiar? In fact, during the war, a number of these hotels, large meeting spaces in Europe and the United States were taken over for military planning and staging. Sound familiar? Right? We've seen even in places like in New York City, the Jacob Javits Center, that they've taken over areas to create you know, hospital beds. So as we're going through these, there's some parallels, and I'm kind of connecting some of these uh, parallels. And I'm sure as you're thinking about this, you're like, yeah. So these businesses, they're going through this again. And 1929 wasn't the, you know, the first or the last time they went through it. In 2020, if you're going through it, if your business is going through it, it's not going to be the first or last time you go through it either. <clears throat> so that's kind of where things were at in 1929. Now I want to go over Cesar Ritz, give you a little um, sidebar, the life of Cesar Ritz. So Cesar Ritz was born in 1850 in the Swiss village of Niederwild. At age 12, he was sent away by his parents to learn mathematics and French, which he did with limited success. Lacking a clear direction for his life, his peasant farmer father paid 300 francs to an acquaintance in a nearby town to train Cesar to become an apprentice winemaker. Initially struggling in the hotel industry, Cesar Ritz developed his hotelier skills by working at premier hotels in France, England, and Switzerland, but he aspired to own his own property. Having worked at a poorly run hotel fraught with double bookings and luggage handling problems, Ritz stated, I did what I could to pacify the clients, but ultimately I learned the essential attribute of business diplomacy. After a decade of managing the summer season at the luxurious Grand Hotel National in Lucerne, Switzerland, Cesar Ritz became the general manager of the Grand Hotel in Monte Carlo, where he met the master chef Auguste, Auguste, Auguste Escoffier. Together, Escoffier and Ritz opened a restaurant in Baden, 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 which led Cesar Ritz to be selected to manage the newly opened Savoy in London. Customers at the Savoy urged Ritz to open a hotel in Paris. With help from Alexandre Louis Marnier L'Apostole, 
who was indebted to César Ritz for suggesting the name Grand Marnier for the liqueur that Marnier L'Apostole had invented. You guys know about Grand Marnier. Who doesn't know about Grand Marnier? Isn't that cool? So he invented that. And César was like, hey, you should use that name, Grand Marnier. And boom, there it is. So then Ritz, Ritz purchased a mansion in Paris and spent two years preparing it to be his 210-room hotel, the Ritz Paris Hotel, opened in 1898. By the time of the Ritz Paris opening, Cesar Ritz had a controlling interest in nine other restaurants and hotels, including the Carlton in London. Some of these names, I mean, they still exist. I mean, the Carlton, obviously, Ritz Carlton became the thing, but there's also the Carlton's Whenever you hear that name, it kind of has like this kind of high-end uh, flair to it. I mean, there's Carlton Hotels. There's the Just Use the Carlton, not maybe any relation to Ritz. I know in Miami there's one. I think in New York there's one. So that name, it carries weight, even if you didn't have the Ritz. I mean, that's the kind of brand that this guy built. Obviously, the major name is the Ritz-Carlton. So in June of 1902, Cesar Ritz suffered an emotional collapse. Although he was involved in planning the London Ritz, which opened in 1905, he was not able to return to his business. His eventual successor was his son, Charles. Even though Cesar Ritz's tenure at the helm of his own hotel was relatively short, he is credited with influencing luxury hotel design and service standards that persist to this day. Only the good die young, right? Isn't that what they always say? Only the good die young? So this guy, Cesar Ritz, who started this whole concept, this whole idea of like, let's create this like luxury brand. So if you're thinking, right, about luxury and you wanna model your business about it, I mean, think about, about some of the things he did. I mean, he took some huge chances to go in and create something, a luxury brand you're talking about, but he didn't have a long run at it because in June of 1902, I mean, he was just getting started. So Cesar Ritz, he's got this 210-room hotel. The Ritz Paris Hotel opens in 1898, and four years later, he has the financial, or not the financial, but the emotional collapse and turns it over to his son. Now, what does his son do with it? You know, if you got kids and you're thinking like one day you're um, gonna turn your business over to your kids or kid, you know, there's a great uh, series. I think it's on, is it on Showtime, Succession? Or is that on HBO? I think it might be on HBO. Uh, but it's all about that. It's like this uh, guy, there's like, he's like the, you know, the head of this super huge conglomerate and he's like gotta turn it over and he doesn't know what, he's got like three kids that all wanna run it. Um, yeah, run it into the ground is what he's thinking. And so it's a it's a pretty good series. You know, if you haven't uh, checked it out, but look it up, Succession. I think it's on, I wanna say it's on HBO. I wanna say it's on HBO, but it's pretty good. But it's the same thing you're gonna get faced with. If, you, if you're building a brand, building a business, like Cesar Ritz, I mean, I'm sure he would have been at the helm until he wasn't able to be there anymore anyway. But he got his, his run kind of cut short. And so, then we got, you know, we were just talking about how they went through a financial crisis. Sounded, sounded a lot like what's going on right now. So they were on the verge of collapse. All the hotels closed. The financial uh, markets crashed, 1929. 
The Boston was the one that they uh, were able to keep open. And Keller, who took over and really started the franchise, he's trying to fake the funk. He's got all the lights on, trying to make it look like people are staying in the hotel. That's the last thing you want. Crazy thing about that. In 2008, when we had our last little financial bubble burst and the market crashed because of the, the, not the hotel, but the housing bubble, that's when I was starting my business. Um, so it was like, you know, no wonder it was easy to, you know, find space because everything was empty. Like everybody was running for the hills and I was just running, you know, I was there, there was a fire going on and people are running this way and I'm running into a burning house. Um, so that's how I got my start. But the crazy part about that is just before that, there was this big boom. Everything was building, 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 condos, 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 everywhere, downtown Tampa, every downtown. And then just like that, boom. And it doesn't happen just like that because when it happens, like when the crash happens, there's a lot of rumblings and there's a lot of building up. It took years to get to the point of crash, right? It, it takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. You know, this... Uh, pandemic we're going through i mean obviously it's it's terrible for markets it's terrible for everything it's terrible for health but it too didn't happen overnight it seems like it did but we will find out as we continue to watch that there's stuff brewing and you know even i've already heard talks of our all the way back to november um, but really it hits us in march everything gets shut down and it seems like it's overnight the financial crisis 2008 <clears throat> all of a sudden boom, crash, it seems like it was overnight. The world just turned to shit, but it wasn't overnight. It takes time. This 1929, when this crash happened, it wasn't overnight. It built up over time, but it seems like it is because then when it happens, it's like all of the sudden, boom, and everything shuts down. And so that's what they were faced with. So when I was opening, I remember all these giant, you know, beautiful buildings that were built all over downtown Tampa, and I found out because we ended up going down there a couple of years later and opening in one of these empty buildings that they were putting little timer like switches in the condos because you have 300 units, luxury condos, nobody's there. But it was little timers to turn on the lights to make it look like people were living there to try to attract more people to move into that area. And when we moved in there, it was 2012 and it was still pretty dead. Um, and we're still down there and now it's 2020, but you know, we were in one building for six years um, and it took at least three years before people started moving in. Uh, people were not trying to live in these empty buildings, um, you know, and so it took a while. So even though 2008, you know, 2009 is when the, the bubble burst and the crash, it was probably a good five, 10 years before as it was building, right? It takes time to blow up a bubble and then it pops and then it's a recovery and so we're still we were still kind of in that recovery now so now here we are again so the same thing that happened here in 1929 markets crash world's going this shit all the hotels close the you know keller's trying to hold on to that one ritz carlton that's in boston and we're heading into world war ii right so post-World War II and the rise of the Ritz-Carlton business traveler. So while much of the early success of the Ritz-Carlton brand was linked to the leisure and social lives of the world's most affluent individuals, the post-World War II economy saw the emergence of international business travel. You know, just like I've been talking about post-corona, we're going into this corona economy, it's going to be a new thing. We don't know what's going to happen yet. 
That's why we're going to be watching as all of our businesses and our salons and our restaurants and our hotels and our airlines start to open up. But we still have to watch and see what does this current economy really look like. So the business traveler, <clears throat> in fact, during a portion of the time that Cesar Ritz's son Charles served as chairman of the board of the Ritz-Carlton Management Company, 70% of registered guests at the London hotel his father created were Americans staying on corporate accounts. Interesting. With international business expansion, Charles Ritz engaged another round of brand extensions through controlled leasing agreements with properties and locations such as Lisbon, Madrid, and Rome. As evidence of the Ritz family's commitment to excellence, the Ritz-Carlton Management Company sued the Rome hotel owner for failing to live up to exacting company standards. It even reported that during the week Charles Ritz died in 1976, he was still actively identifying quality improvement needs to the staff at the Ritz Paris. Passing from the perfectionism of Cesar Ritz through the dogged efforts of his son Charles and into the passion of excellence of modern day leadership, their legacy has continued to inspire the delivery of the highest levels of luxury to customers. Now that's a that's a pretty cool thing. You know, he's to his dying day, he's like trying to take it to the next level. I'm trying to create a standard that tops the standard that we already created. Um, that's a passion. You know, that's something that he was born to do. Like, and I guess it got passed down from his father. Like he was born like they were about this luxury experience. Um, so here we are now from Atlanta. To Marriott, the history of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, as it is now known, follows its leadership from Atlanta, Georgia, to Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase, Maryland. In 1983, the Atlanta-based real estate developer William B. Johnson, known for his construction of Waffle Houses and Holiday Inns, was working with a group of veteran hoteliers in the development of a network of luxury properties to be called the Monarch Hotels. One of these founders, Ed Staros, notes that the Monarch Hotel Group bought the rights to use the Ritz-Carlton name in the United States and also purchased the Ritz-Carlton Boston for an estimated $70 million. According to Ed, given the small amount of marketing dollars we had available, our leadership team realized that it would take a long time for us to develop a reputation for luxury excellence. But if we <clears throat> could work within the context of an established and respected brand, we could expedite the timeline. So there's the process there. So what you're hearing about, and this is something I probably learned. I mean, like I said, I've read this a couple of times, but some of these things you read and you don't even realize. That's why I always encourage you guys, if you're reading anything, read it you know and, and it's you know you get i mean you know str some strong takeaways from it read it again in a year go back and read books that you read even one year ago even maybe six months ago because they're going to hit you in a different way even when i was going through my books the yfy books i was hearing things i was like i wrote this like what i said that because it's like a whole you know year has passed two years has passed and then it hits you in a different light and so this is a this is a move where 
we talked about this in salon ownership. You could start again, start a new base, try to create this luxury brand, or he was thinking, which was smart. So Ed, right? He's like, we can buy it. You know, we can buy it. Ed Steros looks at this idea, like we're gonna start a luxury brand and finds out that there's an opportunity to buy the Ritz-Carlton rights to use the name that can expedite the process. Smart guy. So back to the story. Johnson soon placed the corporate leadership responsibility in the hands of the inspirational and dynamic president, Horst Schultz, whose charismatic leadership style helped the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company grow from four U.S.-based hotels in 1983 to 40 properties around the world in 2000. Hell of a job, Horst. Good job. However, in spite of Horst's steadfast leadership, an economic downturn, here we go again, here we go again, an economic downturn from the 1980s cut deeply into the hotel industry with magnified effects on the Ritz-Carlton, giving its aggressive expansion eight new hotels in 1990 alone at one point Horse acknowledged that the company was in default on a loan of for $70 million and that it would need to restructure other debts. So, boom, we've already gone through two. This is, I mean, and there's probably other been other little hiccups, but this is the second major one. The Ritz-Carlton was there for the crash. All the hotels closed except one. Now in the 80s, boom, what happened in the 80s? I'm looking at my little timeline of, of of uh, crashes, we got Black Monday in 87, right? So there's the 80s, we went through another one. Remember I was telling you, like there's these things are happening like every 10 or so years. So all of a sudden, you know, in one year in 1990, they had, you know, eight hotels just in 1990 that they grew. Uh, but during the 80s, when they went through this crash and this economic downturn, the world got flipped upside down. Um, so now they're in some big trouble. So after a series of familiar, back to the story, after a series of familiar or, or of similar, after a series of similar financial challenges and crises, Marriott International purchased a 49% stake in Ritz-Carlton in 1996. Today, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company is a wholly owned subsidiary of Marriott International and the parent company has given the brand access to vast economic and support resources. Yet, despite this change in ownership, as well as the relocation of the corporate offices to Chevy Chase, Maryland, Ritz-Carlton's leadership and management culture has remained strikingly autonomous and independent, which is awesome because if you're building an amazing brand and you have that autonomy, you want to keep it. We're gonna study as we get into some of these brands and we get into some you know, tech, we got Facebook, Amazon, um, Apple's already on our list. Instagram kind of reminds me of Instagram. Instagram got bought by Facebook, but they still kind of remained autonomous and were able to build their company within a company. So that's, um, that's kind of what it looks like happened with the Ritz when they became part of Marriott. Back to the story. Even with its early history of financial difficulties, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company has grown as of January 2008 to manage 69 hotels worldwide. Approximately half of the Ritz-Carlton properties are in the United States and the other half are in business and resort locations such as China, Egypt, Indonesia, Russia, and South Korea. 
By the year 2011, Ritz-Carlton is poised to have 100 properties worldwide. The company is also experiencing additional growth in new product lines, including its residences, clubs, and other fractional ownership properties, and it is also widening its global footprint in emerging markets such as India. So this was all going on. They're expanding, expanding, expanding. Um, we're going to have to definitely do a follow-up and find out where the company is at, like what's going on today, because I'm wondering you know, where things are going to be at with what's happening now and then moving forward. But that was as of 2011. So back to the story. Names and faces may change, but quality endures. Facing struggles, stumbles, and transitions, Ritz-Carlton leadership has been steadfast in its commitment to service and quality. Even during some of the financial challenges of the business's life cycle, Ritz-Carlton continued to be recognized across multiple industries for its consistent excellence. While many leaders would have taken a defensive position during economic threats, allowing cost containment to cut deeply into the level of products and services delivered, the leadership at Ritz-Carlton set out to benchmark its practices against the most quality-driven companies. They did this by measuring and improving quality through the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award evaluation process, a program that allows businesses to benchmark against other recognized world-class leaders. Interesting. Ed Staros, one of the original group in Atlanta, that developed the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company notes, I remember in the late 80s, there were economic concerns and other hotels were doing things like cutting out mouthwash and changing the flower arrangements. Horst Schultz was adamant always that we weren't going to cut costs and maintain any lasting success. So, Horst is like, all right, all these companies are doing this, all these companies are doing that. So this kind of sounds like where we're at right now. They're coming out of this financial crisis or they're going through this financial crisis and he's looking around at all these other businesses and they're all cutting costs, figuring this, figuring this out. I'm a business owner. I know a lot of you guys, whether you're on Instagram, Facebook one, Facebook two, Twitter, wherever you're watching or listening to this are business owners and you happen to think like I haven't had any revenue in like two months or whatever. Um, so what am I going to do? So this is what they were going through, right? History guys, that's what it's about. So now they're coming out of this and the Ritz Carlton's like, yeah, we just had to close a bunch of hotels. We're going through all this. And Horst is like, listen, they're adamant that we're not going to cut costs and maintain and maintain any lasting success. He's like, that's not going to happen. If we start doing what they're doing, we're not going to be able to stay on top of our game. We're not going to be able to maintain the level that we're trying to maintain. So just because the economy, back to the story, just because the economy was bad, it didn't mean the guests didn't want mouthwash, right? Think about this. I mean, this is like right on point. <clears throat> Rather than cutting back, we wanted to become more efficient and even improve our product through total quality management. If you're a widget factory and there are 20 steps to make a widget and you study your business with a systematic approach to improving quality and you figure out you can make an improved widget in 18 steps, all the better. Essentially, that was our quest, not to cut corners, but to become more focused and get the maximum quality through efficient processes. 
And I talked a little bit about this in one of our chapters from YFY Salon Ownership about FEE, little acronym that we use in our in our company, fast, efficient, and effective, probably came out of this. Like, and, you know, thinking about hearing some of this. Um, so through a willingness to be routinely audited by representatives from world-class businesses and a commitment to continually rework quality processes, Ritz-Carlton became the first company to twice win the prestigious Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award in the service category. Harry S. Hertz, director of the Baldridge National Quality Program, National Institute of Standards and Technology, puts the significance of the award in context by explaining, over the 19-year history of the Baldridge Program, there have only been four two-time recipients of the award. In every case, these companies created sustainable organizations. Using the Baldrige criteria, they significantly expanded their businesses from their first award to the second. They were able to be more prudent in their customer or market selections, and they strengthened their strategic position for the future. They are true role models for the United States. Now, you guys, if that's not balling, I don't know what is. So he just said, like, there's only been a couple companies that ever, ever done this. And when they won their first to their second, they took leaps and bounds to make their experience even better. So that's the thing. I mean, he goes on to talk about them. I mean, um, just accolades. So thinking about the choices that you guys have when you're faced with a challenge, when the Ritz-Carlton was faced with a challenge back up against the wall, they doubled down on their experience. They doubled down on the quality of their service, their product. So when you guys, as we're all thinking about going back to our businesses, and we're all thinking about going back to whatever people want to call the new normal, how can you take the experience to another level and double down and deliver at a higher level from pre-corona? Because in the corona economy, people aren't looking to cut back, right? They're looking you know, to be more, you, and we all need to think about that. How can we be more efficient? How can we be more productive? How can we deliver a better guest experience? How can we deliver a better product? How can, like you said, if you can make the same widget uh, you know, it takes you 20 steps. You can make an improved widget in 18 steps. Wouldn't you take the more efficient route? Uh, so he is kind of looking at what people are doing and doing the opposite. And sometimes that's the way you got to be. Because they start, you know, the winning all the, these accolades. That's where, you know, they started and the legend continues. Um, so we're going to we're going to stop at this point. As we're learning about the Ritz-Carlton uh, tomorrow, we're going to dig back into the Ritz-Carlton this whole week as we're dedicating um, these next episodes to this. We're going to really be focusing in on how we can then take some of these things, take our experiences to the next level. As we continue, get ready to open up our businesses. These are some of the keys. And they've already been, you know, think about how many financial crises, how many... Um, economic downturns this company has been through um, but the mentality and the mindset is what's going to take you to the next level just like it's taken the Ritz-Carlton to the next level 
So guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this morning's story time, the Ritz-Carlton, the new gold standard. Um, hopefully you've gotten some things, uh, you know, kind of in your head now that you can't get out. That's the goal, to get something. You can't unhear things, you can't unsee things. Um, so as we're learning about this company, this brand, the Ritz-Carlton, and discovering some of the, the mindsets of going through a financial crisis, going through an economic downturn, going through something like the pandemic that we're in right now that's just rocking you know their entire company to its core what can we do what kind of approaches can we take to not only not cut back but actually to improve our guest experience to actually take our guest experience to the whole to a whole new level um, that's what I'm wanting to do with my companies. Hopefully that's what you're wanting to do with your companies. Hopefully you're thinking about how you can take your company's experience to a whole new level um, because that's what it's going to take as we go into this new, uh, this new economy, this new environment. So thank you guys for tuning in this morning for story time. Thanks for being here Monday through Friday. We're here 9 a.m. Eastern time. See you guys tomorrow. Uh, bring a friend, share the stream, share the post, share the podcast, wherever you're listening and watching or learning from. Uh, bring some people back with you tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. for another story time. And if you're interested in any of my books, you can go to uh, yourfirstyearin.com to check out those. And then if you want to take these episodes or any of the previous episodes of the YFY podcast on the road, on the run, on the drive with you, just go to yfyipodcast.com. So thanks. Hope you guys are having a great day. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're getting inspired, motivated, and maybe a little bit educated as we get to navigate our way into this new corona economy. And I will see you guys tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Thanks for watching, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, Sunny D here again. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode from the new gold standard. The Ritz-Carlton is one of my favorite companies and I'm getting really excited as I'm going back through this material. It's probably been at least a couple of years since I read this book. I like to read these books you know, every year, every couple of years or so, just to kind of refresh my mind and see where I'm at. And I always have new takeaways. Even in this episode, there were lots of things I was even like reliving or re-encountering and re-experiencing. So, Hopefully you guys got some takeaways. I look forward to having you on the next episode of the YFYI podcast. And if you're able to, join me live for story time, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can find, just look for Sunny D, you'll find story time, and you can be a part of the live audience. Uh, all the podcasts can be found at yfyipodcast.com. And my books, if you want to learn more about those, you can go to yourfirstyearin.com. So thanks again for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. And remember, this is the place where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.